This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we talk to Senator Rand Paul. He's on the show to talk about his race, where he's running against someone who has released an ad with his head in a noose. Not Rand Paul's head, but in his own head in a noose. Um, just despicable. Uh, then we have Michael Schellenberger on, who is running for governor of California. He's an independent running in this race. The, the primary is actually tomorrow. And what's interesting about him is, obviously, it's California. Democrats usually win in California. Blah, blah, blah. We know that. Well, Gavin Newsom's terrible, and we don't want him to win. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, however, is an alternative uh, to Gavin Newsom. From the sense that uh, everyone's everyone in California who knows politics there saying he's the one guy who can actually beat Gavin Newsom. He's an independent and but is sensible. You wouldn't agree with him on every topic, but there's a lot you do agree with him on. He's going to go through some of that uh, today. Make sure to check out uh, the or subscribe and re. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, and, of course, you can also check out Stu Does America and do the same. Both shows are available five days a week. Uh, had some great episodes on the weekend as well. Uh, from, uh, Glenn's interview with Mike Lee uh, is in the feed as well if you want to check that out. Uh, and uh, the gun special that we did on Studios America as well. Check it all out uh, and subscribe and review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Well, hello, Stu. Glenn, how are you? You know, I I didn't get a get a chance to bring the grandkids to the drag queen show for children at the gay bar in Dallas, so I'm a little upset about that. Yeah. I will say it was really, really oh, good. Uh, they did a great job. I, you know, I thought there, I thought the encore was honestly better than the main set. Uh, they really, they turned on. Really? Yeah. Everybody, everybody yeah. that was there was really, really appreciative. And I, you know, I admire those parents that, that you know, said, "Hey, hey, we're not old fashioned. We're not, hey, olds. Uh, you know, look at us. We're part of this new trend." That is sexualizing our children at four. And I think the strength and the power of those parents should be applauded. Yeah. I think I think the main issue here is why why over and over again are the American people uh, requiring drag queens to wait until four years old to dance in front of them? Uh, You know, they thank you thank you they can you can go way younger than that have you ever you know those those mobiles mobiles that are like in the uh in the the crib why why are they why are they elephants and giraffes and not drag queens you know that's i don't know but i'm just i'm so glad i'm so glad that we're here now because i did bring my grandson uh he's almost six i brought him to a strip club over the weekend Mm -hmm. uh and uh man he was putting dollar 
dollar bills into her panties like crazy. It was great. Mm. It was great. He's I'm raising him right, Stu. You know, raising him right. Yeah, although you're indicating a potential future <laughs> uh, in a straight relationship, which I that that is uh, no. He's identified as a girl. Okay. Okay. No, he's good. identified as a girl, Whew. so it's okay. Uh, it was a lesbian thing mm-hmm. that was happening there. Um, now, the government is very, very concerned about what happened in Janu- on January 6th, um, and they have turned to some help to make sure that America will really, truly understand what's going on. Uh, they have, um, they've, they've turned to a former network news executive to hone a mountain of, quote, explosive material into a captivating multimedia presentation for a primetime hearing Thursday. Then, the love boat. You have James Goldston. He's the guy that they've called... He's the former president of ABC News and a mastery, a master documentary storyteller who ran Good Morning America and Nightline. And he has now joined the Committee of Un-American Activities on January 6th as an unannounced advisor. Now, if you say to yourself, gee, um, making this into a primetime special and hyping it like this um, and having an ABC producer and former president uh, that ran Good Morning America, that sounds like propaganda. No, no. He says it has to be raw enough so skeptical journalists will find the material fresh and chew over the disclosures in future coverage. Now, I don't know who those skeptical journalists might be. I haven't seen them. He also wants it to draw the eyeballs of Americans who haven't followed the ins and outs of the Capitol riot probe. So he says it's going to be a mix of live witnesses and pre-produced video. And at the end, you can vote on a special 1-900 number. The uh, committee has gained access to the official White House photographs from January 6th that have never been seen publicly. And we will open Donald Trump's vault. <laughs> Geraldo Rivera will be there to open it up. Um. Now, there's, I mean, I don't, you know, I, of course, think this is a great idea, you know, to, you know, make our, our hearings into a primetime made-for-TV special. Who could think that's a problem? But um, I just want to point out, this guy has deep, deep experience on, on knowing what America needs to see and not see. For instance, um, he was... Um, he was the guy apparently that said Epstein what Epstein stories we don't need your stinking Epstein stories here uh, he was the guy that uh, yeah kind of uh, buried that for ABC remember that being a kind of a problem in a letter ABC News president James Goldston the guy that uh, we were just talking about uh, wrote, they're deeply concerned that this victim in search of justice went to ABC News. I'm sorry, it was a letter to him from McCarthy. 
Um, he said uh, the victim that went in search of justice went to ABC News, provided information and an interview, and then ABC News, under the direction of James Goldston, decided to bury the truth about Epstein. Did you see, by the way, what uh, Elon Musk said about Epstein? He's asking some questions about that. I, not that anyone could have any questions about how that's been handled. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, why do you think he's got those questions, Stu? I've got an answer and love to hear yours. <laughs> I don't know why sure he's this is wrong. bringing it up at this very moment, per se, though. You know, considering he's getting really escalated criticism from many of the people uh-huh. who... Uh, are around have were around Jeffrey Epstein when of course he was alive back in those days uh those people seem to like, be highly critical of Elon <laughs> like whom like is there any one person that might jump to the to the head of the class on that one hmm who do you think i i don't know i mean uh, he was so I mean, into, enter, he was so I mean, intertwined uh, just with throwing the entire a name party. Out. Mm-hmm. just throwing a name out Bill Gates. Mm. <laughs> he's been he's been very very critical of uh, of Elon Musk, um, and seems to be leading the charge against him. And he also was the guy whose wife said, "I can't live with you anymore, scumbag," because of what you were doing with Epstein. And the media, of course, responded, "Epstein? What Epstein? Who's that? What are you talking about? He's great." Look at him. He's a philanthropist. I have a feeling Elon Musk is just raking him over the coals. It, this is all targeted towards him. That's true, because Gates was one of the stranger associates with Epstein. He praised him publicly many times. He visited with him more often than almost anyone else. Uh, you know, when it comes to the high profile I mean, people, it was, it was uncomfortable when when. When you're on the plane more than Bill Clinton, that's saying something. That's, <laughs> didn't he say know. too? He was like, hey, a he was just trying guy. to get his hard drive fixed. Didn't didn't yeah, he, didn't he say so. something yeah. like? I mean, because he met him, he met with him, even though some of the stuff had gone on. He continued to meet with him after a lot of those things were accused, and he yeah, also yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. he almost complimented him as being like, yeah, he lives a crazy. Crazy life. I, I mean, you know, a wild. He's a wild guy. He's a, a wild and crazy guy, which uh, I think was. It's usually Steve Martin who would say that, but he this and this case it was Bill Gates, and it does seem like a strange thing to say about a guy who's been accused uh, and uh, has already gotten in trouble for hooking up with underage girls at the time. It's especially when your wife Melinda uh, is saying to you. Stop it. The guy is a pedophile. What are you doing? Stop hanging out with him. Why are you going to the island all the time? What are you doing on the island all the time? I can't live like this. You seem to be a dirtbag, Bill. You know, when that kind of stuff is coming from your wife, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I don't think it's just you. Probably I do is. think that he has something to to answer to on this and he does not seem to uh, to really be interested in doing so he did come out and say oh these meetings were a huge mistake uh yeah it's easy to say that you know when uh when the guy has hung himself in prison allegedly 
Uh, it's easy to say that now, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like there's much there's much scrutiny going on over that relationship other than by Melinda. <laughs> yeah, I know. And apparently Elon Musk now is kind of on the bandwagon and he's making a really good point. Why is it no one has been interested in this story? I mean, this is the biggest scandal story, the biggest scumbag story, probably of my lifetime. All of these people, all these high powered people are involved and nothing comes about it. Nothing. There's no list. Do you remember when we were living in um, New York and that list of that madam came out? I think they made a movie. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and that list came out, and everybody wanted that list. That was peanuts compared to this. Mm -hmm. This is the whole elephant. Yeah. Why, uh, why is no one interested? Yeah, he he met with, with... I mean, this really would be an interesting thing to dive into and really look at closely, but he met with Gates multiple times, went to his condo multiple times, stayed late into the night at least once. Uh, his quote was, his lifestyle is very different and kind of intriguing, although it would not work for me, said Mr. Gates in 2011 after his first get-together with Mr. Epstein. Now, again, remember, his townhouse is the one that has on the walls like pictures of like naked, underage girls that are quote-unquote art. <laughs> Just, again, you what know. Are you so, does, so does Abercrombie. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, there's a Just lot Abercrombie wrong with it. Just Abercrombie and Fitch. That's mm -hmm. all that is. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we held that line pretty pretty clearly. Um, it doesn't seem like uh, Jeffrey held that line all that well, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but they met in January 2011 at the townhouse. Uh, they kept meeting in 2011. The... the it lasted several hours, according to Mr. Gates' spokesperson. This is according, by the way, to the New York Times, who actually did cover this. I mean, they have looked at it, but it doesn't seem to have elicited the type of attention you'd expect. I mean, now I'll give you an example of this. You know, Matt Gates, a Republican congressman, has also been accused of some, uh, you know, uh, ill-advised uh, meetings uh, with with certain individuals and that has been fascinating to the media i mean they've been constant now matt gates is you know he's made some news he's in the news occasionally uh, because he's a big trump supporter but it's not like you know bill gates was the richest man bill in the gates. world he created a company yeah. that is basically serving 80 percent of the world's computer needs he is you know obviously very prominent uh, with his role in the in in trying to spread the vaccine across the world and has been uh you know criticized trying to for, spread for the that. what the vaccine across the world um oh okay. he, apparently maybe some other things on a jet as he went to an island <laughs> we don't know that part for sure but the, po the point being that like don't this know. is a guy yeah. that that the media is typically fascinated with almost everything that he does and why this has not elicited more criticism i mean even to the point where other mm. politicians there was a lot of politicians republican and democrat that met with jeffrey epstein back in the day and man, the lack of interest in the details of some of these meetings was fascinating before Epstein went to prison and hung himself, right? Like this was fascinating going back years. We talked about it on this show probably close to a decade ago, and it never created any interest among the media. All of the news comes out about what actually happened well, at his condos and everything else, and still it hasn't risen to that level for some reason. wonder what it could be.
for some reason. And I'm sure it has nothing to do with James Goldston, the former president of ABC News. That is the one who killed the Epstein story and uh, now working on that very special, that very special episode of Criminal Intent. The January 6th House Committee on Un-American Activities. Don't miss it. It's beyond every single uh, uh, media channel that is owned by a giant corporation. It'll be there Thursday. Don't miss it. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. The pain of our past persists to this day. In Kentucky, like many states throughout the South, lynching was a tool of terror. It was used to kill hopes for freedom. It was used to kill my ancestors. Now, in a historic victory for our Commonwealth, I have become the first black Kentuckian to receive the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. Okay, stop. My opponent. Stop. If you don't have the Blaze TV and you're not watching this, this is a guy running against Senator Rand Paul, and he is speaking, but he has he's standing with a tree behind him and a noose around his neck. It is one of the most outrageous, um, salacious, and and quite honestly, just wrong ad I have ever seen. And I've seen some bad ads in my day. Senator Rand Paul joins us now. Hello, Senator. Good morning, Glenn. Thanks for having me. You bet. This ad is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. What a, what's your response to it? Well, you know, it's despicable. I'd say it's cringeworthy. Kind of reminds me of Jesse Smollett. It's sort of an attention getter, you know, based on a it's a hoax based on a lie. He says in the ad, oh, that I blocked a, a bill on lynching, which uh, is absolutely untrue. I actually worked with the authors of the bill for over a year to make sure that it, punch it punished actual lynching and didn't punish minor brush up against somebody, calling people names, graffiti, things like that. The way they had originally written the bill was uh, Black Lives Matter, remember, painted graffiti on the church in Lafayette Square. That, under their original yes. writing of the bill, would have been considered lynching and punishable by uh, 10 years in prison for conspiracy to lynch by doing graffiti, which obviously is not lynching and demeans the horrific thing that happened in our history. So anyway, I just wanted to get the bill right. So we did punish people who actually did this horrific crime, but didn't punish people you know, who slapped somebody or did something, even if there is a punishment, it's not the same as lynching. But for that, this uh, guy really does the whole Jesse Smollett thing, puts a noose on himself, pretends as if he's being lynched. I don't know. It's despicable, despicable. But on on one hand, on the other hand, you got to wonder if it doesn't make him just look incredibly foolish. Um, well, is there a problem with lynching? I mean, uh, looking it up, the last lynching in Kentucky was 1927. Um, and to to watch him standing there 
it, it is it's horrifying and makes it seem like lynchings are happening all the time. Well, and it distracts really from the the horror we have in our big cities right now. You know, in Louisville, we have more murders per capita than Chicago. Uh, we had a 14-year-old standing on a bus stop, and many of these uh, tragedies are occurring in minority community. Uh, kids shouldn't be at risk for being murdered, you know, at the bus stop. I met a right. mom. Nope, we lost him. By, by gang, by gang. Are you are you back with me now, Glenn? Yeah, we are. We are. Go ahead. All right. And uh, I was telling you that we also experienced, you know, recently a mom whose son was shot and lost both of his eyes, five-year-old kid. And so I think when you, you know, think you're Jesse Smollett and put a noose around your head and start doing that, you distract from the real violent problems that we do need to work with. You know, we need to figure out how to get more stability, more fathers in the home. We need to figure out how to get more police patrols. You know, this guy that I'm running against also wants to defund the police. So he's for no police force. He wants reparations for slavery. And then he somehow thinks that uh, putting a noose around his head is is, is going to uh, be uh, something that's of, uh, of use to making or allowing for less violence. Um, and not to minimize uh, racism, I lived in Kentucky for a while back in the 80s, and there was still problems with race, but it has been getting better. Uh, and I know I know you uh, well enough to know you take race seriously. Um, let's talk about a couple of other things. This is really getting to me what we're doing in Ukraine. We just sent them more money than I think almost more money by about maybe five billion dollars than the uh, country of Russia spends in a year in their Department of Defense. We sent it over there. I don't see any accountants going with it. And then we keep, like last week, we sent them another $700 million just out of the blue. And then we sent them a, a, a missile system that Russia came out today and said, if any of these missiles land in Russia, we will strike America's homeland with a nuke. What are we doing yeah, somebody needs to be uh, counseling, you know, what happens and what are the possible ramifications of this. But realize, you're right, we've given them about $60 billion now, and it's about equivalent to what Russia spends in a year. But they've also said that only lasts until September. So in September, they're going to be back at the trough, and they're going to want more. And it's not money we have. We don't have a rainy day fund. You know, walk over to the Federal Reserve and open a big safe, and it's like, aha, here's all the money. There is no money. It's all borrowed money. So we either borrow it from China or the Federal Reserve prints it up, and we and we borrow it from the Federal Reserve. But that creates inflation. And so they're going to be back in September wanting more. And see, they're already starting to talk about no. what happens when the war's finally over. It's going to be trillions of dollars to rebuild Ukraine. Who do you think they expect to rebuild Ukraine? The United States. And so I, I think that uh, we do need to rethink this. And I'm sympathetic to the cause of the Ukrainians. But, you know, charity begins at home and you can't give you can't give away money you don't have. So I, I know this sounds paranoid, but I just don't trust these people in any way, shape or form, meaning our own government. Are, are we are, are we anxious to engage in a war over there? Because it seems like it. 
Well, you know, I ask one simple thing that the special inspector general for Afghanistan, who's been on the job for a decade, who's got a whole team and does a great job of trying to prevent people from stealing our money and stealing our weapons. I asked that they, that he be put in charge of Ukraine. His team said they could immediately start doing it. They're used to dealing in war zone and uh, flatly rejected not only by Democrats, but also by the uh, the hawkish leaders in the Republican Party who want to get us involved and really think that somehow this is this is going to be our war and they don't care if, where it goes from here. And nobody's cost counseling caution as far as the possibility of this uh, expanding into a much larger war. So no, we should be we should be worried about not that you know the thing is is we can all I think we're unified in having sympathy for Ukraine, but at the same time, if you put missiles in there and they launch them on a Russian city uh, and the war expands into Russia, um, you know I, th- I think really the reaction of the Russians is unpredictable. Perfect. Um, let's see. I've got so many things to ask you. I want to ask you about the disinformation Fauci. And I know you're, you're unveiling, a uh, the penny plan budget, uh, today, and I'll let you pick if you can squeeze two of those DHS disinformation Fauci. And if you want to give us some preview of the penny plan today. Well, the penny plan balances the budget in five years. And the the reason I've chosen five years to balance the budget is when we have introduced a balanced budget amendment, Mike Lee and I did this a few years ago, the amendment says that the budget must be balanced in five years. Every Republican votes for it. And then guess what? When I put forward a budget that actually balances in five years, like the balanced budget amendment would command, I get, you know, maybe 20 out of 50. And so we put forward as a litmus test, you know, which Republicans are big government Republicans. You want to see who the good guys are, see who votes for the budget that balances in five years that I'll put forward. Now, here's the problem. About eight years ago, you could freeze spending and balance in five years. Then it was the penny plan. You could cut 1% and balance in five years. Now it's up to six pennies. So it's actually a 6% cut each year for five years. And some people sound say like, oh, my goodness, that's so much. How could we ever do it? You could eliminate the Department of Education tomorrow, and you would never miss it. You wouldn't fire one teacher. Yes. You wouldn't miss it if you fire if you got rid of the entire Department of Education. You could probably get rid of half of the Department of Interior, most of the Department of Commerce. But the thing is, is even a six percent across the board to everything, there's that much waste in every department. Oh, easy. Uh, but I'm with you on eliminating these departments. We have to, Ren, or we do not keep our our freedom. What, what the administration is doing in weaponizing each one of these uh, administrative arms is terrifying when you look at it all put together. 47 different federal agencies have SWAT teams. Um, so I'm not for gun control unless we're talking about controlling the guns of the government. And uh, I think we've got too many people walking around with SWAT teams. Look. Police, yeah, uh, you know, uh, need to have it in big cities where there's a lot of violence. But uh, I don't think, you know, the Department of Education needs a SWAT team, and they've got one. I am, I am growing my growing concern over the fact that the states have not put in um, any kind of legislation to stop what happened the last time we had COVID. Nobody is paying for any any of the uh, constitutional stomping uh, that they did. Um, Fauci, nobody's asking any questions except you. Where are we with Fauci? 
Yeah, my wife asked me that every week when I return from Washington. She says, how come he's not in jail yet? And I said, I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can. But, you know, he's been referred to Merrick Garland, to the Department of Justice. But, you know, that's a that's a blind, blind end. It's that's not going to happen. But the thing is, is come November, uh, we're going to be in charge of at least probably the House, hopefully the Senate. And there will be a thorough investigation. I will subpoena every last paper of Fauci's because I think he's not only been dishonest about funding the gain of function in Wuhan. I think there's been a cover up and I yes. think there's been a misdirection campaign. The misdirection campaign is to get us to think about other things, but not to think about the root cause of where we got the virus. But his other biggest failing, yeah. the other reason he should be filed is simply that he never talks about treatment. If, if you know, you can still get it if you've been vaccinated. What are you supposed to do? People need to know that you're supposed to get treatment within about five days. The treatments work best within five days. If you're getting sick and you're at risk, you need to get treatment within five days. And there are several treatments that actually do work and can save your lives. I still have people going in to get treatment. And they're denied saying, oh, you're, you're not high risk. So we're not going to give you the antiviral pill. Well, what about the monoclonals? They say, oh, they don't work anymore, so the government won't allow you to use the monoclonals. So it's it's mm-hmm. a system that is now so socialized that all of the directives come from government and from Fauci. Instead of you talking about your doctor, these are various treatments. Some work better than the others. We would have done better on day three, but you're day six or seven. But we're still going to give them because we think there's a chance it'll keep you off the ventilator. None of that's happening. None of the discussion's happening. It's all coming down from Fauci, who makes an edict. And right now in America, he will not let you have monoclonal antibodies, period. But he he specifically for the last two years wouldn't let you have them once you became an inpatient. You had to beg to leave the hospital to get monoclonal antibodies because of Fauci's rigidity and his rules and his algorithms. Quickly, do we have anything to worry about with monkeypox? It tur- I, I, don't, I can't give you the complete answer on that, but it seems to be a contact disease. It seems to be mostly uh, being spread as a sexually transmitted disease. Um, so we'll see over time, but I can't say that I know much more than, than that. Okay. Rand Paul, thank you so much. Uh, God bless you. Uh, stand uh, tall and stand strong. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, Senator Rand Thanks, Paul, buddy. the uh, senator from, you bet, the senator from Kentucky, if you... Uh, are in Kentucky. He is up for re-election and uh, is one of the strongest defenders of the Constitution in Washington, D.C. The best of the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. Today is the 78th anniversary of the D-Day invasion. At Mercury One in our museum, we have one of the most awe-inspiring and precious items in the collection. It is a flag that was on a landing craft that brought men and tanks across the channel on D-Day. The ship was sunk Uh, by the Germans on Omaha Beach. And one of the sailors went down to rescue the flag. It is that one flag tells the entire story of D-Day. It is ripped to shreds, frayed, The stars are still together. 
This was the biggest military operation in world history. Three million Allied troops were sent across the channel. No one knew if it would succeed or not. No one knew if Hitler was expecting them. If he, if he was still there, his troops were on high alert. If he hadn't looked elsewhere, we were dead. Imagine being on the shore of England, getting ready to go across the channel, knowing that really, truly, one of the most battle-hardened and technologically sound armies was waiting across the river on the beach for you. Eisenhower wrote a note. He wrote it to everyone who was going across. He said, you're about to embark on a great crusade toward which we have striven these many months and the eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German, people, the German people's war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and the security for ourselves in a free world. And it's an important one, I think. Savagely, that, yeah. It's a it's a great it's a great point you make there, Glenn. We did lose you here for just a quick second. Maybe you could back up a second. Are we there? Too. Just <laughs> sorry, yeah. we're having a bit, little bit of technical okay, difficulties. Mm -hmm. Okay, the eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task ahead is not an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But in this year, 1944, much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940 and 41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offense has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men in the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage devotion to duty and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than a full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessings of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. As they were reading that and then launching one by one, FDR was on the radio talking about the fall of Rome. The next day, once they had gotten onto the beach and were making progress, FDR took to the airwaves again in one of the most outrageous speeches, if it were given today, that you will ever read. 
Imagine your president coming on the air and saying this. Last night, when I spoke to you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment the troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. And it has come to success thus far. But in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. That's where the president today, if he even said that, would leave it. He then says, and I'm quoting, Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give them strength to their arms, stoutness of their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard, for the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace, by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tired, but night and by day without rest until victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame, and men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle and for their return to the haven of their home. Some, dear Lord, will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servant, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, Almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee at this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer, but because the road is long and the desire, if great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer. As we rise up each new day, and again each day is spent, let the words of prayer be on our lips, invoking thy help to our efforts. Give us strength to strengthen our daily task to redouble the contributions we can make in the physical and material support of our armed forces. Let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travail, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons wherever so they may be. And, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee. Faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let, let none of these impacts of temporary events, of temporal matters, but of fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With your blessings, we shall prevail over the unholy force of our enemy. Help us conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogancies. 
lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations in a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. But we know thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Could you even imagine hearing our president speak like that today? We have a real problem in today's world where we don't even really want to admit our own faults. If we're honest about what we're facing today, it's all of our own faults. We let our we let our love of of unbridled freedom conquer our duty of responsibility. We let our wants become our needs. And there is no one to blame anymore, or at least there is no one that will take the blame. Dwight Eisenhower has become one of my favorite people in history. Because while he said the eyes of the world are upon you and we are going to win in his pocket on that day, he had written a letter for release if things did not go well. He said our landings have failed to gain a sad satisfactory foothold and I have withdrawn our troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based on the best information available. The troops, the air, the Navy did all that bravely bravery and devotion to duty could do any blame or fault that attaches to this attempt. It is mine alone. Right now, our politicians are trying to do something they think very brave and noble. They haven't even told us what they're truly fighting for. It's not Ukraine that is driving up the gas prices. It is their fight for climate. It is their fight for the earth, and they will blame the repercussions on anything it is the money printing of greedy politicians and an absolute criminally in, in, uh, incompetent fed. The greed of the banks that has caused this inflation. Treasury Secretary admitted it last week. Yeah, we misread. We failed to see things. We shouldn't have done. But not our commander-in-chief. 
let us not forget what honor truly looks like and try to emulate that in our own lives every day, beginning today. Na, 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 na.